Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. All right, I want you to just remember back to a time, maybe it was when you were a kid and you were wandering the halls of the church or you were walking through the sanctuary. Maybe you were an adult and you were walking around and, and somebody, some subject comes up or you begin to say something and everyone around you gasps and says, you can't say that in church, right? Anybody, anybody been there? Okay, or my favorite, I've got, I, I get this, this is my favorite. It's when somebody comes up to me and says, I'd tell you what I really think, but we're in church. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, well, don't, don't hold back just because we're in church. That's <laughs> so uh, it's a common thing. And while I appreciate the uh, self-control at times that we might exercise to not say certain things in church, if we allow that speech in church, okay, let's just say all speech in church falls under the category of prayer, and all speech in some level falls under the category of prayer. So, and we allow that prayer to a loving God is the safest place in the world to say what's really going on. And we allow that parts of the human experience are worth cursing about. Okay? Does it not follow that the practice of cursing what is awful and evil has a rightful place in our prayers and therefore in church? All right, so, or put it another way, what if avoiding certain subjects in prayer, like cursing our enemies, actually contributes to those same subjects showing up in speech uh, to and about people, things like slander and gossip or letting our anger get the best of us? So, Psalm 59 is our kind of sermon text today as we're going through the Psalms during the season of Lent and different types of Psalms. And Psalm 59 invites us to consider how cursing our enemies in prayer actually helps us to obey the New Testament commandment, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. Today, we are going to learn from the Word of God through King David, through his prayer, through his song, and this is our goal today, how to find God as a fortress in the presence of our enemies. How to find God as a fortress in the presence of our enemies. Now, <clears throat> we're calling this sermon series during the season of Lent Soundtrack uh, to go along with some daily readings which are available to us. And uh, so, as we go through the Psalms, last week we looked at what we call a, a penitential psalm or a psalm of repentance where David said, uh, okay, my life is, hur I'm hurting, I'm in pain, the, your arrows have sunk into me, remember that? And he said, and, and by your grace, God, I've identified the source of my pain, <laughs> which was actually my sin. So now that I know the problem, I've heard about the cure is the good news. So God, would you forgive me? And then he says, you know, when I was forgiven, I was lighthearted again. My face, the light in my face came back and everything was good. But I had to move through that process. So I had pain. I had problems. I realized it was my sin. I confessed my sin and on we go. Well, there's a handful of those in the Psalms, six or seven. Uh, but there's also a handful of psalms in the 150 psalms 
that are called the imprecatory psalms. And that's a big fancy word basically for uh, cursing with speech or cursing in prayer. So you can just say it that way. There's you know, a handful of those too, the imprecatory psalms. And so this is a, an example of an imprecatory psalm, Psalm 59. And this is David writing a song, and, and we, we think that he wrote it, you know, kind of later in his life. But the experience that he's remembering when he was in trouble is when Saul, remember when King Saul was like going nuts and getting like the psychopathic tendencies of uh, power and being a king, and he, and he was jealous of David. And so it gets to a point where he's like, okay, we got to get rid of David. So he sends people to kill David, sends people to David's house. And while David's there with his wife, and people are outside stalking him to try to kill him, uh, he starts writing some of this stuff down and then later develops it uh, into a song. So that's what we have today is David in sincere, he's fearing for his life. I mean, he's, he could die, literally die. And so he's, he's praying in that context. That's what he's doing. So, um, and, and you'll notice the difference. Uh, today, instead of uh, I'm, in, I'm in trouble, I'm in pain, and it's, uh, it's my own sin, he's like, I'm in trouble, I'm in pain, and I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to follow God here. And uh, I'm, the, I'm, I'm stepping in and doing everything I'm supposed to do, and still people are trying to kill me. So what do I do about that, God? So that's where he brings to prayer. The basic prayer is, Lord, save me from my enemies, just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. It's, it's that basic prayer that when we're in trouble, it's natural to pray, God, save me. It's as simple as that. God, save me. That's what David's praying. But he's not just praying general, save me from evil, general evil, which is bad and awful and it's out there. But he's praying, save me and deliver me from these particular people. I know their names. I see their faces. And they're, they're evil. They're trying to cause me harm. They're, he said they're workers of evil, right? They're not just like, oh, they're pretty good folks. They just did a bad thing. They're working evil. It's like, it's like kneading dough. They're like taking evil and they're just like nursing it. You know, they're just working it. And that evil is, is, is building inside of them. And they're bringing that to David. So he said, these people that are working evil, Lord, get rid of them. Save me from these people. So... So it's, it's appropriate when we see evil or, or when we see, excuse me, enemies in the Psalms or in the Scriptures, we, it's, it's okay to think, okay, uh, enemy, the devil's our enemy, general evil, yeah, that's good. And some people teach the Psalms that way. That every time you see enemies, you just say, Lord, protect us from the devil. And that's great, but we got to go one step further. And we know even the New Testament, the text that Gaynell read for us, defines enemies, uh, it says, you know, uh, bless your enemies, right, and, uh, and feed them, clothe them. Well, you can't do that to the devil, so we know this is people. This is real people. We have enemies who are people, and we need to own that as the people of God. We have enemies, and we need to know what to do with our enemies, how to relate to our enemies. And sometimes we don't know if someone's an enemy or not, so prayer is the perfect place to work that out. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we miss it, but either way, in prayer, God's able to work out those details. So we have to include real people. When we talk about enemies, and in the first four verses of Psalm 59, David's talking about these immediate enemies. They're, they're literally outside his house. He can see them. He knows who they are. Um, they have been sent to kill him, and they're those who work evil. Then he expands his definition of enemy in verse 5 to include all enemies. Okay, This is broadens it out, going all enemies all around the world. Uh, he says, his prayer says, Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil, right? Anyone who's plotting evil in the world, don't spare them, God. Don't let them get off the hook, right? They need to be, they need to be punished for what they're doing. 
And this is, I think of this as like reading the news. I mean, David didn't have the same access to worldwide news that we had, but he knows, I mean, he knew what was going on around him, and he knew what was going on in his uh, area of, of, of the world. And, and, you know, every headline that dings your phone every day or that's on your ticker of your television screen or on your radio, what do you do with the outrage when you hear the latest headline that says um, there were 300 more Nigerian children who were kidnapped this week? Well, what do you do with that? I mean, who do, who do you get mad at? <laughs> so, well, you get mad at the people that are doing it. You get mad at evil, and we got to know something to do with it. So we follow David, and we say, Lord, don't let those people off the hook. They're working evil. They're, they're ripping families apart. They're taking away dignity of human life and education and everything else. Don't let them get away with it, Lord. Make them pay for that, right? That's part of what's happening. We're taking that cursing there instead of getting home and being mad and cursing at our spouse. So, I mean, you can do it either way, but uh, the, other, the other one doesn't usually work out very well for me. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm learning. I'm a slow learner. But. And we might object and say, well, gosh, Ryan, we can't curse our enemies. Remember when Jesus said we should, you know, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you and, and in the verse we just read in Romans 12, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. So we have Romans 12 saying, don't curse your enemies. And then we have Psalm 59 saying, curse those bad boys all day long. Well, the difference is we're cursing them in prayer. Right? That's different. You know, curse them in prayer, curse them in the sanctuary, not out there. Because we're still trying to sort it out. So we, just, we, we bring it all here and we leave it on the altar. We leave it at the cross. And then God is working his miracles all the time, and he's changing us too, but it gives us an honest-to-goodness place to be honest about what's awful in the world. Sometimes the vision of Christianity that we put out there is like we don't notice that stuff. We try to sweep it under the rug and say, oh, no, the world's just a wonderful place, and everything wonderful happens, and if we just da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and church is a wonderful place, and don't you say that, and don't you curse that. No, this is the place where we curse. <laughs> we curse in the presence of God in order to get that stuff out and get it in the context of prayer. Our prayer journals should be filled with don't let that person off the hook, don't let them out. And again, God's big enough to handle those things. So we want to find God like David did. We want to find God as a fortress in the presence of our enemies. That's what he says throughout. This is his little refrain. is God, you are a fortress to me. I sing aloud to you. You are my fortress. You're the place that I take refuge. It's beautiful. David has found his home in God. And so I have three just little observations from the text that I want to offer as a way of finding refuge in God, finding God as a fortress in the presence of our enemies. Okay? So here we go. First thing is verse 10. In verse 10, in verse 10 we are reminded that there is a grace that goes before us. Uh, we call that in Wesleyan terms, prevenient grace. It's the grace of God that goes before us before we ever care anything about God. It's the grace of God that comes to us that reminds us that God has loved us since from before we were born and God won't stop loving us no matter what we do or where we've been, that God's love for us is fierce and we can't run away from it no matter how hard we try. That's the good news of God's grace. He's always chasing after us. So that's the first thing we have to remember to find God as a fortress is that God goes before us. And David recognizes that. He says, my God in his steadfast love, this is David in his confidence, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. And it's not like meet me on the road. It's kind of the, the verb is like he'll meet me. He's going out before me. He's running before me. God is, is running and I'm with him and God is going to meet me there. 
So that's the first thing we remember. And that's good news. It takes the pressure off. God is working ahead of us. The second thing, uh, don't try to beat our enemies at their own game. Right? That's a dead-end cycle. When we're receiving uh, the work, the worst work of our enemies, if we try to beat them at their own game, then we're, we're just paying back evil for evil. We're just getting in that cycle, and it just, goes, it just spirals down. It's, it's a natural impulse. It's what I always want to do. Maybe there will be a day where I don't want to do that anymore, but if I don't do it, it's only because there's some rescue along the way because I always want to repay evil for evil. It's just what I always want to do. And uh, it starts out as a good thing, but it's, it's not the, the, the best response. So there's no refuge in revenge. We, we think there's refuge in revenge, but then we, we follow that path and we never feel safe. We, we still feel uh, as though we're, we're being harassed by those same enemies. So um, there's no refu- refuge in revenge. But, so the way we get there is a full-throated curse. And I mean, you don't have to hold anything back. I love how David does it. He, he goes as far as to say in verse 11, God... These people that are working evil all the time, please don't kill them, <laughs> right? Don't kill them because would, that would let them off too easy. But keep them alive and let your wrath consume them, right? Pour out your wrath on them. That's what he says. Let your wrath consume them. Make their life miserable. And that way the whole world will know that you are a good God. <laughs> so it's like, hey, that's a prayer I've never prayed before. But I think we need to work that into our prayers. Keep them alive long enough for people to know that if you do stuff like that, this is what's going to happen to you, right? Make them suffer and keep them alive. Not a prayer we pray all the time, but hey, that's, that's what David's saying. I think of the, the guy that was just uncovered this last week or so that was a, the a USA Gymnastics coach, right, and all these harassment and uh, sexual uh, assault claims and these kinds of things. And, and clearly in his cowardice, when he finds out that everybody else is going to know, he kills himself. So he, get, he gets off easy, and you have the victims going, we never got our day in court. Like, we never got to see him suffer for the ways that he made us suffer. So David's trying to say, God, keep, keep him alive, make him suffer, let everybody know there's a different way to live, and this is not it. When we, when we curse our enemies in prayer, we leave room for the wrath of God. We are, we, are, we are acknowledging that God is a just God, and he will not let evil go unpunished. That's part of the good news of the gospel, is that God will not let evil be uh, unpunished. So that's uh, God's wrath is a response to God's love. God loves us so much, so when, when his people are preyed upon and harmed, his wrath kicks in, and there's a punishment that goes with that. Um, I love what Ellen Davis says. She's an Old Testament scholar, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, uh, who was a duke forever. And uh, she says this about the imprecatory psalms. She says, through these psalms, we demand, and I love that, we demand that our enemies be driven into the hands of God. Who are we to say what will happen there? The key there is we don't have to be judge and jury. God, that's God's role. And so when we drive our enemies into the hands of God, we, we leave it to God and say, God, you do what you will. I don't have to carry the burden of making sure that that person gets punished. Now, I mean, we obviously in our justice system in uh, the United States and other places, we try. I mean, we want to do the best we can with, with uh, the tools that we have available at our disposal, but, but, uh, but ultimately, that's in the hands of God. And the last thing, to find God as a fortress in the presence of our enemies. David uses three different verbs at the end of this psalm to just, to just say how wonderful 
it is that he has found refuge in God. And here's, here's what he says. One, one, the best way we can translate it is I'll sing. And then he says, I'll sing loudly or I'll shout. And then he says something like, I'll raise a psalm of praise. So he says, um, I'm going I'm to sing, I'm going to shout, and I'm going to raise a psalm in the morning. And, and we kind of go, okay, David, why are you going to sing? Why are you going to shout? Why are you going to raise a psalm in the morning? And he says, this is about the steadfast love of God. I'm going to sing and I'm going to shout and I'm going to raise a song of praise in the morning because God is faithful and he's never broken his covenant with me. And he's never broken his covenant with us. And so that steadfast love, you have been my fortress, a refuge in the day of distress. It's beautiful. So we are um, we're being honest. You know, we're not chasing down the rabbit hole of... Uh, finding refuge in revenge. We're remembering that there's a grace of God that goes before us. And when we do that, we just we go ahead and allow ourselves to sing and to shout. And, and like we did earlier, uh, that there is a good God on the throne. And we get a chance to worship him. I want to close with just the image of Jesus and his life of suffering and his, and his final uh, act of love as he was going to the cross uh, and, and I want to borrow the words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 starting at verse 21 because here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount he says look you've heard it said that you should hate your enemies but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so he's, he's turning it on his head he's saying the, the gospel the cross and resurrection ultimately will give us opportunities to live in a way that we've never been able to live before. Because what it means by hating your enemies is simply, I'm not going to be in covenant with those people. It's not a feeling. Hate is an action. It's like, I'm not going to be in partnership with those people. I'm cutting it off. I'm I'm breaking that tie. I'm hating. If you you hate your family in the Old Testament culture, it just means you're you're cutting ties. It doesn't mean you think they're awful. You're just cutting that tie. So um, hating our enemies is a way of saying, I'm not going to keep covenant with my enemies. And when I think about it, you you trace it out and you go, we have a covenant relationship with God, and that's a covenant that I have broken. That's a covenant that we have broken. And so what the good news of the gospel is, is that God chose not to hate us. In other words, he chose not to stay estranged from us when we estranged ourselves from him, but rather he loved us. He kept his covenant and built a bridge for everything to be repaired. So even when we hated God and we broke covenant, he sent his son to love us and to die on a cross for us. And this is how Peter says it. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, y'all an example, so that y'all might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the God who judges justly. See, he's not abandoning the idea of judgment. And think of Jesus praying the Psalms, because we know Jesus prayed the Psalms. And I think of Jesus when he's trying to figure out what to do with the enemies that are about to kill him. I think of him praying these imprecatory Psalms, saying, Lord, I'm putting my enemies in your hands. Peter goes on to say, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds 
you have been healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. Have we invited the cross of Jesus Christ to disarm, to disarm our enemies? Have we invited the cross to do that work as a part of our healing? May we find joy there. May we find God as a refuge there. And may we remember that we have something to sing and to shout and to raise a psalm about. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.